Welcome to Heels in the Courtroom, a podcast about successfully navigating law and life, featuring the women trial attorneys at the Simon Law Firm. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Heels in the Courtroom. This is Liz Lenovey. Today's episode is going to be part two of our three-part series from our live podcast recording at the 43rd Annual Arizona Women Lawyers Association Convention. Please excuse any difference in the quality of the audio as this was a live recording instead of our usual in-studio recording. But if you haven't already, please go back and listen to part one from last week and enjoy part two. Thanks so much. The 2020 article was left out and left behind, and that one focused specifically on women of color in the profession, because a really important part of these discussions, when we're in a room like this as majority women, talking about our experiences is making sure that we keep in mind intersectionality because everyone's experience is going to be different. We're going to have common experiences as women in general. I'm sure we've all had the experience of being confused as the court reporter or the paralegal, things like that. But when you add race on top of it, that is an added layer that women of color all experience. And then more importantly, within that, different groups are going to have different experiences because of different stereotypes that are applied to us. So I'm going to have a different experience as an Asian American woman than my colleagues up here. I'm going to have certain things happen to me that maybe they don't have to think about or, or worry about. But my experience is very different than my black colleagues or my Hispanic colleagues. And oftentimes we just think about women of color. Oh, people of color. And it's not that simple of just white and everyone else. There's experiences within that. So that is a lot of what the article focused on was intersectionality and interviewing people of different backgrounds and what are the experiences you've had. Even though they all talked about the different experiences, there was all one resounding thing that they came back to, which is that it's this duality. I'm already starting a little bit behind because I'm female, but now I'm also starting even further behind because I am a different ethnic background or a different race. And something that they mentioned is, you know, sometimes something will happen to me and I have to wonder, is it because I'm a woman? Is it because I'm black or Hispanic or Asian, or is it because a little bit of both? So diving into the numbers, and I've got my notes here, the numbers aren't great for women in general. They're even worse for women of color when we talk about attrition. How are we losing people as we go through the ranks? They did a firm diversity study in 2018, and they took like sort of a a group of associates, first year associates. And when they look at who made non-equity partners, they found about three out of four white women went from being an associate to a non-equity partner. For women of color, it was one out of three. And then for equity partners, they found that about half of white women went from being an associate to an equity partner. And then that cut even further in half to only one quarter of women of color making it from associate to equity partner. And the question was, why are we losing people And so when they interviewed these women, there seemed to be two specific reasons that these women focused on. And one was feeling undervalued and or facing barriers to their career and advancement, both as women and as people of color. Specifically, when they talked about feeling undervalued, that spoke to both what was the quality of the work they were getting? What were the opportunities that were being given to them? And then something that stuck out to me was when they were given sort of special opportunities, it was almost like the firm was parading them out of, hey, do you want to talk about diversity and how diverse we are? And and it's a tokenization. 
And that seemed to be the focus of the opportunities that they were given as opposed to client facing opportunities or chances to get into the courtroom and really grow their career. So that was the first reason that they gave. And then within that as well, there was a talk about lack of mentorship. And not just you know someone giving you a mentor, but specifically what influence did that mentor have within the firm? Because it's fine to have someone who can help guide you and give you advice, but if that person ultimately can't be a champion for you to then get to the next level, I don't want to say what good are they, that's that's not fair, but um, <laughs> you also have to think about, you know, with career advancement, you want to make sure you've got someone in your corner who is going to be able to advocate for you when it comes to having that discussion about who's going to make partner and all of the things that we want in our careers. And then the second thing that the article talked about as far as why specifically women of color leave the profession was feeling like the legal profession interfered with their ability to manage their personal and professional responsibilities. <laughs> It sounds like work-life balance, and I know. And I know we don't. We're against it, and I think our very first episode is like anti-work-life balance or something like that. So what if? Yeah. But within that conversation, obviously, we know we know where that comes from. That comes from. Basically, since the dawn of humanity, women have sort of always just had that thrust upon them. And it's not fair. It's not right. Men are just as capable of being nurturers and we're just as capable of being providers. But in addition to just women having that put upon them, there can be certain cultural or community responsibilities that are an added layer for women of color in the profession. The article does a great job of saying, okay, well, we've presented all of the problems for you and here are a couple solutions. And I encourage everyone, if you're interested and you want to increase within your firm or your office or wherever you're at, increase diversity and know how to support the young female attorneys of color in your office. I encourage you to read it. They've got great recommendations. But one of them is, you know, beyond recruitment, how do we make sure we've got more inclusion as people go up through the ranks? I think law firms do a really great job of recruiting diverse people, but we're losing them. We lose them as they go up and just trying to figure out strategies for making sure that these people feel supported, making sure that they get the opportunities to do the big, important work that is going to advance their career and making sure that they're not being paraded out as just the diversity of the office. So that is the 2020 left out and left behind. And I think Erica has got the 2021 article. Yeah, I do. Okay. All right. Hi, everyone. I was remiss to not mention that my wife is an ASU alum, and I've never been out here with her. Yeah, go Nets, for Nets, is that right? Yes. Okay. Um, and I appreciate the opportunity to relive her glory days. She played soccer for them. We are going Sunday morning, so thank you for having me. Um, I also have a three-and-a-half-year-old and one-and-a-half-year-old. We have two little girls. And so for anyone in the audience who needs you know, to see which one of us up here you might relate closest with. Mary and I have the itty bitty kids. Amy has the kids who are starting to party um, when I'm not there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like this weekend. Yeah. Yeah. So we're kind of, that's part of the thing that is fun about our podcast and the chance that we've been able to do this is we're all kind of at different life stages. We've all meshed our own experiences and we sit down on Friday afternoons every other week. And we sit down, we take about a half hour before we start recording, and we just hash out whatever's been going on. We talk about, you know, what happened to you this week? What skills have you struggled with that maybe we should review for our listeners? And at the end of the day, 
when we're talking about these issues and attrition of women in the profession, finding that has been by and large one of the biggest differences in the satisfaction of my everyday work, working with my friends, working with people who I know care about me, sponsor me, and support me every day. And that doesn't mean you all have to go home and buy fancy microphones and start recording a podcast, <laughs> but it is speaking to that idea of camaraderie, that idea of finding your happy hour group or your coffee group or your lunch group and supporting each other throughout the profession. Now, that also kind of falls in the category of things that have been forced upon us because, and I know this has been my experience, I have my sponsor over here who has likely had to spend her own political capital in the firm, go to bat for me when I needed it. And that's something that I am so lucky to have. But at the same time, that is something that these articles have talked about, that women and how we function in the practice and in our firms, you know, it's women speaking up for other women, which is wonderful. But when we can find male sponsors as well, it's not just a, you know, this is our problem. Attrition in practice is something that we, you know, is only our responsibility. So my article, this is the third publication of the ABA initiative on this topic. It's called, in their own words, experienced women lawyers explain why they are leaving their law firms in the profession. And in this article, they define senior lawyers or experienced lawyers as those with about 15 years of practice or more. And the way that they talked to these women was in a focus group style. So they're sitting down, they're focusing on a couple different questions and getting anecdotal evidence, basically, of these statistics that we've all heard. And you know, when we talk about pay disparity or we talk about not getting credit for business that you're bringing in, tell us how that's functioned for you and what you did about it. And so that's what this third article focuses on. You know, we've talked about the general article, the article that includes more diverse perspectives with women of color. And now we look at the attrition of women 15 years plus in practice. So let me ask the room quickly so I can kind of see what levels of practice we have here. How many law students do we have in the audience? How about women who have been practicing five years or less? Yes. <laughs> How about those who have been practicing five to 15 years? Awesome. This is like so perfectly, good. Good, good, yeah. Yes. 15 to 25 years? That's awesome. All right. And any 25 years plus? <laughs> Yeah, right. Right. Yeah. Right. Experience. Yeah. So what I've seen is a pretty good mix in this room yeah. of all levels of practice. And I'm also going to ask you to all raise your hand again if any of these statistics surprised you. So disparity appears relatively early for women, and women are substantially more likely than men to leave their positions before a partnership is decided. Does that surprise anybody here? No. No? Okay. Women are twice as likely to make early exit and they continue to disappear even after making partner. Is that new to anyone? Okay. Women of color represent nearly 20% of all first and second year associates who left their firms in 2018, which makes the departure of women of color the highest to date, which seems to be going the exact opposite direction of what we would hope. And that to me is a surprising statistic, but does that surprise anyone? Mm -hmm. Women are 36% of lawyers practicing, 
47% of associates, so we've talked about the fact that in law school for decades, we've been about 50-50, were just nearly 50-50 in new associates in law firms, but women are 24% partners, and when it comes to equity partners and compensation, male equity partners make 27% more than female equity partners. And women of color are 3% of equity partners. So if any of that was surprising to me, it was surprising to me how drastic the numbers fall off as you get, you know, you start as 50-50 of associates, and then you're getting further on in the practice and the attrition just plummets. This study was focusing specifically on women who are leaving later in their careers. And when we say leave, they're leaving their firms, leaving their practice, and some are leaving the practice altogether. The number one reason is pay disparity, real or perceived, which is kind of an interesting thing to think about as far as actually knowing you're getting paid less than your male colleagues or someone in a similar position. And then just the perception that you are, that you're not getting credit for your work, that you are not getting the same sort of recognition or that you're not being valued or compensated the same as your male colleagues. Second, hyper-competitive environments that erode collegiality. I mean, that has to come down to job satisfaction, right? So you're in your firm, this competitive nature, no matter what your practice is, you know, that's the old boys look. That's how I see it. Now, we are working really hard in our firm and in St. Louis in our kind of greater network to really make sure that old girls club is getting older. <laughs> I mean, we trend young. We have our elder stateswoman. I'm the, I'm the elder millennial. Liz is our peak millennial. And then I, it falls off after that. Are you in Gen Z? No. 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 How no. no. dare you? <laughs> okay, so then we, we have our younger millennials. Yeah. So we have a broad range, but seeing that, as we see in our own colleagues, the group of women who continue practicing and continue staying in, it's a small group. And the longer you hold on and stay in your profession, you know, what is that that is making women, once they get into positions of partnership? Because this study also found that women continue to leave even after they've made partnership. So the number three reason, isolation, four, sexist and racist behavior, Five, a desire for more challenging or fulfilling work. Six, being passed over for promotion. And seven, long hours and unpredictable schedules. It kind of changes a little bit, and issues have changed for women as they get longer in their practice. You know, you figured out the long hours and the schedules for the most part. You know what to expect. You didn't do it for, you know, two decades because you weren't able to make it work. These are also a group of women who have probably raised families if that was their choice or you know, they found their partner and they've worked out how the division of labor in the house goes. So like they've worked that out, but they're still leaving their practices and the profession. So we thought that you know, our intention in actually presenting the research, we wanted to make sure your state bar organization gave us a check mark, <laughs> but um, we also wanted to use this research to set up the issues instead of you know, just coming up here in front of you and saying like, hey, we've experienced some hard things. I bet you guys have too. Let's just jam on it. But we wanted to set up these issues and give you the real statistics because we're all sharing these experiences. We've all gotten together with our girlfriends who are also practicing law. 
And you hear the same thing, but then when you see it in numbers, nationwide numbers, and thinking of 160 years until there's gender parity and equity partnerships, I mean, that's not my kids. I don't think that's my kids' kids. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, we're looking at a really long timeline. So we thought we would share some of our stories, hopefully that you can relate to, talk about how we've kind of gotten over some of those issues in our own practice. And, you know, why are we sitting up here telling you about our lives and about our practices? We're plaintiff's attorneys from St. Louis. You know, how is that going to help you guys and why do it? And the point for us is that what has gotten us through tough days and has gotten us through those humps when you're sitting there thinking, am I going to wash out? Is this the right place to be? Did I pick the right profession? Darn, those three years were hard and expensive. Seems really hard to go back on now. Is the office chats that we have, being able to go and talk to each other and have that mentorship, have that camaraderie. And so our goal in doing this and the podcast in general is to reach a broader audience and to be a resource for women who are maybe in their firms and they don't see people who look like them. They don't see women in the top positions or at the table in their firms or in their practices. We hope to bring that to you and hope that you'll be able to really get something from that. So the story that I'm going to share with you, I started in a defense firm, like I mentioned. It was the same defense firm as Liz. Did I not say that? Did I not mention <laughs> No. <that? laughs> she said she stayed for a cup of coffee. I stayed for three years. <laughs> and uh, at this particular firm, you know, it's the business model that they bring in a lot of associates. There's a lot of turnover. To give you an example, I started in 2011. Uh, is when I started practicing, and that was a good year to have spent the previous three years in law school, given the recession. And so the hiring environment was kind of silly. And I started with 13 other attorneys, and the firm, I think it was about 120 lawyers total, and the St. Louis office, they had a couple offices. The St. Louis office was about 85 of those attorneys, so obviously the largest. There's two practice groups, and there was 15 associates hired on the other side of the firm, and then our side, there was 13 people hired. And when I left at three years, I was the second to last to leave from that group, and the other one left two months later. So, you know, you can, just to give you an idea of the kind of burn and churn nature. Now, to be fair, true to also the reputation, I got a lot of experience in those years, I got to do a lot of things. I was single, I didn't have kids, getting home at eight o'clock didn't matter. You know, I was working late with my friends that I went to law school with basically. And doing that, you know, I knew what the goal was. We had billing requirements, there was compensation incentive once you got to a certain amount of hours, which I'm sure some of you are familiar with, but I could do it. I knew exactly what I needed to do. I was working for good people. I was getting their best cases. I knew how to compete with the other associates. I was in an environment that I could thrive. Now, the other side of that was the fact that it was just a very toxic environment. And I knew I was gonna leave eventually. There's a joke in the firm that you have to remind law students in the interview to not say, oh, well, it's a great place to start. That's why I want to work there. So anyone I've talked to who's like, oh yeah, I'm gonna interview this firm. I'm like, don't say that thing that everyone says about the firm. So when John Simon called me and left me a message at work, he said, hey, I want to talk to you. And I was happy to hear from him because I had clerked for Amy in our firm as well. 
And I knew there was only one reason he was calling me. And so I got the opportunity to return to our firm. And that was at three years of practice. And I did not see that coming. You know, if we have an open position, we're not necessarily advertising it. We're working within our own connections with who we might hire. So I came over to our firm and I'm going from this environment that, yes, toxic, a lot of silly things happen there. I remember being told they prefer it when I wear skirts, which is a little self-conscious thing while sitting up here in a skirt. But, you know, just kind of that stuff that you're like, that just shouldn't happen, right? The work was going well, the environment was terrible, but then I come over to our firm and I think it's gonna be Pax Romana, everything's gonna be wonderful. I know these people, I know the group, and I get there and all of a sudden, now I'm not a big fish in a small pond of associates. Now I am the youngest one on the team. It's a powerhouse of attorneys. They're doing big things, they're handling big cases. And I don't know if I'm gonna have it. I don't know if I'm up to the challenge. I'm looking at all these people around me and what they're doing. I'm trying to, you know, make the right decisions on cases, but the plaintiff side is just a little different. You're more siloed, you're working in a different structure. It wasn't this clear, you know, I'm working for one person. I had a lot of autonomy. I had a lot of independence. If I'm given that, I'm gonna take it and run. So there were so many growing pains in those first couple of years in switching sides and coming to the practice. I remember going to an ABA conference in San Diego and there was an attorney in our firm who had heard that I had traveled to this ABA conference. And there was some sort of comment made, this was like a report from my legal assistant, there was some sort of comment made in the room, like, who does she think she is? Wish I could just go to San Diego. That got back to me. I'm sitting at this conference that I didn't want to be at. Quite <laughs> I went with a bar association that I was the chairperson of like the young lawyers division, and I was supposed to go for this conference. And it kind of all came to a head as far as, am I in the right place? Can I hack it? Is this where I belong? Can I do this? Am I smart enough? and a lot of self-doubt, as you can hear. So thank God Amy picked up her phone. <laughs> and we had a very long conversation while I'm sitting in a hotel room, probably, you know, the emotional roller coaster of that conversation. But, and it's so silly, right? Like some attorneys just making a comment like, huh, too bad she gets to go. But I felt so pressured and that other people were looking at me and thinking, you know, are you performing and, and what are you doing? And I just didn't feel like I belonged. So thank God Amy said all the right things at all the right times. Helped me get through kind of this isolated moment of self-doubt, not knowing if I'm in the right place or what I should be doing. And immediately on the other side of that, she told me, she's like, get through this conference, get home, and then we're going to work it all out. The self-doubt you're having, you know, you wondering if you can hack it, this is not you, and we're going to figure it out. The answer is not that you're leaving, and the answer is not that you're not practicing. I don't accept that. And that was a huge change for me to have someone who's not my mom, who's not my wife, come and support me and help me get through that moment. And I was talking to my wife this morning about like, hey, you know, this is our topic. I want to share a story about when I had some sort of resilience or what I had to do to, you know, stay in my practice and, and love it at this point and know that I'm going to continue practicing and in litigation. And she goes, oh, yeah, I remember. 
So yeah. when you left that defense work you were at, came to the Southern Law Firm, oh yeah, there were growing pains. And, you know, I just blocked it kind of all out of my memory because I'm going back, you know, seven, eight years in my practice. So the idea that your practice is going to be one linear line or trajectory, anyone who's stayed in it for a certain amount of years knows there's highs and there's lows. And in the highs, you do everything you can to spread the wealth and make sure you're bringing up people behind you. And when you're in the lows, you look to your own grit, you get your support system in place, you go to people you trust, and you just hold on. Mm -hmm. So that's my advice for getting through those moments when you're questioning, especially for those of you in the crowd in law school or in your first couple of years of practice. Like Amy said, there's no expectation that there's not gonna be stress. There's no expectation that we're not gonna to have to fight tooth and nail for every position and award and compensation and credit that we get. But there is a way to know that you set up your people, this is a long career, and with every low, there's gonna be a high that follows. Amy, Liz, Erica, Mary, Elizabeth, and Megan would love to hear from you. Send your thoughts to comments at heelsinthecourtroom.law and subscribe today 